Thank you, Jesus. Amen, amen. I got some, um, I told, uh, told you last week that I was going to have some handouts uh, for you uh, uh, tonight. And these right here, the way we got them up now, I'm not, I'm not teaching um, exhaustively here, uh, exhaustively through the tabernacle. That's not my focus um, of this. But what we are doing is using the tabernacle of Moses as a prayer guide. And um, that's how I got it titled. When everybody gets your uh, copy, you'll see the tabernacle as a prayer guide. I would suggest that you uh, fold them, keep them in your in your Bible, and uh, because some people don't never uh, think about it, but you need your Bible with you when you um, get ready to pray, uh, because prayer is a conversation, and when you talk to God, you shouldn't do all the talking. Have you ever talked to somebody that you couldn't get a word in edgeways? Now, I ain't calling no names, but I know a few people. <laughs> well, when we set aside a little time to pray, um, we need to pray. And then give God a chance to speak back to us. And one way we do that is through um, opening up your Bible and read his word and just see where God will take you. Um, and um, we're going to be finding out more about that um, this evening, um, about using uh, the Bible as we pray. Um, it's important for us to um, to know how to pray. If you'll study Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and uh, as they talk about the life of Jesus, um, I find something very interesting. The disciples came to the Lord one time and they asked the Lord to teach them to do something. And he, they didn't ask him to teach them how to heal blinded eyes. They didn't ask him to teach them how to uh, heal the lame. They didn't ask him to teach them how to turn water into wine. I know some modern-day apostolics probably pray that prayer, how you turn water into wine. But um, uh, what they asked them was, teach us to pray. And that alone right there, church, 
um, should show you if, if anything that has to be taught, then there's a specific way for it to be done. And there's, there's ways that we pray amiss. We don't pray in the right manner. God is a God of order. And uh, you're only as strong in God as your prayer life. Some people seem to think, well, if I can have um, pastor so-and-so or evangelist so-and-so or prophet so-and-so lay hands on me, I'll just boof and have um, all the power and authority that I need. But I'm going to tell you something, it don't come that way. It don't come that way. If you want to grow strong in God, if you want more of God, then you need to work on your prayer life. Because nobody is any stronger than God than their prayer life. That's how you achieve that. Amen. And uh, what we have been doing is praying through the tabernacle. Uh, and using the tabernacle as a prayer guide. I'm going to uh, tonight uh, quickly and briefly, I ain't going to spend the time on it, but I want to just kind of rehearse a little bit some of the things that we, we talked about last week. Uh, the picture that you see uh, on the screen um, is a picture of the overall view of the tabernacle as it was in the time of Moses. And you also got a similar picture there on your handout uh, on the front page. <coughs> and um, God spoke to Moses and told him to do this how to, and how to construct it and everything about it. And if you'll remember, um, the last week I told you that now we got drones nowadays. And if you could took a drone and raise that drone up and flew it over the top of the tabernacle, you would see everything in that tabernacle. I'm talking about the furniture uh, and everything about it. It's lined up in the shape of a cross uh, because it points to uh, the cross. And... I believe that everything about this tabernacle has a, a, a spiritual meaning to it um, because God was very pacific in how he told Moses to lay it out. And I believe that everything about it points to something under the new covenant and the life of Jesus Christ. And if we can get a picture in our mind of this tabernacle and what it consists of and something that we can put in our mind and hold on to it and use this as a prayer guide, as a, a diagram. When we pray, it will benefit you greatly. Amen. It will enhance your prayer life. If you're one of those that when you get on your knees or ever how that you 
Some people can't get on their knees when they pray, but when you get in the position, however how you, however how you pray, I've heard, you no know, how many people say, Brother Sammy, I just can't, every time I, get, I start praying, you know, and I think I've prayed for everything under the sun, and then when I get through and say amen, I find out I, 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 I've not been praying but about three or four minutes. Um, if we will take a step-by-step process and go through this, you'll find that it will increase the time of your prayer, the intensity of your prayer, and the order of your prayer. Um, so as you approach the tabernacle, uh, the uh, the gate, that's step number one, if you'll, you'll notice on your prayer guide here, is the gate. Uh, that's the first thing that you come to. And um, the fence all the way around, if you'll notice, is white, white, made of white linen, which, by the way, through to- topology, speaks of the righteousness of the saints. That's what the scriptures tell us. That white represents the righteousness um, of the saints, of the bride of Christ. But the gate itself was not white. The gate itself had color. And all the colors um, mean something. I'm not, I, I don't have the time to, to bring each one of them out right now because, like I said, I'm not teaching the tabernacle. We're just using it as a prayer guide. But I want you to notice, I told you everything is for a purpose. The, the gate itself, there was four posts involved that hung the curtains um, for the gate. Personally, when I, when I approached the tabernacle, I come to the gate, and I see there's four uh, posts involved where the colored curtains are hanging on. I think about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the number four, which represents the gospel. When you, if you want to get inside the courtyard and start in the presence of God, You've got to go through the gospel. Hallelujah. There was only one gate. One gate. Amen. They couldn't, they couldn't go on the north side or the south side or whatever. The gate faced east. And if you wanted to get inside, it was only one way to get inside. How many know that Jesus says, I'm the gate, I'm the door, I'm the way? Now, that makes a lot of people upset nowadays, amen, when you say that Jesus is the only way. But I'm here to declare to you tonight that there are not many ways to God. There's only one way, and his name is Jesus. There's, there's, there's not many religions. There's not many faiths. Hallelujah. One Lord, one faith, and one baptism. That gets people upset. But I'm sorry, I'm telling you the truth, I'm preaching you the truth tonight. There's only one way, there's only one entrance. 
And if you want to get in and have a communion with God, if you want to get in and have fellowship with God, you're going to go through the gospel. And the gospel is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, repentance, baptism in his name, fill him with the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. And then after you do that, you get inside that courtyard there. The white linen is the righteousness of the saints. After you get in, there's a holy life to live. Amen. If the priest went inside the holy place and had sin in his life, he may have walked in, but he had been drugged out. He wouldn't be walking back out. Amen. So, but when you get to the gate, now this is what we talked about last week. Um, here's another picture of the gate. You see somebody bringing an animal there for sacrifice, giving it to the, uh, uh, the priest because there was the one involved in doing that. Um, but you enter into his gate with thanksgiving and to his courts with praise. Now, when, you, when you're praying, your prayer focus when you're thinking about the gate, I'm just entering in, I'm at the first step of, um, uh, of a prayer. We thank God for every blessing and we praise him for his mighty acts. You give God thanks and praise for it. Everything, you can linger here as long as you want to linger. It's kind of like somebody, Brother Douglas, um, giving a testimony. There ain't no way you can testify and give God praise and thanks for everything he's done you. Hallelujah. Do you know, just let me say this. Last night, while all of us was asleep. We don't know if there was somebody intending to bust in your house with a home invasion. But God kept you protected while you was asleep. We got a lot to thank God for. We got a lot to praise him for. Then when we enter in, step number two, the first uh, first piece of furniture we come to is what? The brazen altar. It was made of acacia wood, and it was overlaid um, in something like brass. Let me let me stop and tell you this, and you can if you want to jot this down, you can if you want to. Um, it um, there's some spiritual significance here, but everything on the outside of the tabernacle was covered in brass. It wasn't until you got inside that you saw the gold. <laughs> oh, glory. Man, there's a million things going in my spirit and mind right now when I'm, when I'm thinking about that. There was nothing gold outside. Everything was covered in brass. The altar was the first thing it, uh, you come to, and it's there. Remember last week I told you that there's an old Hebrew word for altar that means slaughter in place. It is here that we confess our wrongs, our sins before God. It is here at the altar after you have thought, 
uh, thank God at the gate as you go in the gate, the first thing you do before you pray for anything else, you need to ask forgiveness. I've never met a man nor a woman, I don't care how long they've been in church, that every day in their life didn't have to ask God for forgiveness. Apostle Paul did, and I believe he's a little bit closer than all of us put together. And he said, I die daily. That lets me know that every day of his life, Apostle Paul stopped at the brazen altar. And he prayed. Hallelujah. I ask God to forgive me for things in my life that I don't know about. Because I believe sometimes we do things wrong that we don't know about. So, that's the brazen altar. No one can repent for us. Jesus became our sacrifice so we would receive the gift of repentance. It is at the altar we search our hearts, knowledge, our sins, and ask God to forgive us. That's as far as we got last week. And, I'm, <coughs> um, and that, that will catch everybody up to where we was at. And remember, let me say one more thing. If that priest planning on taking the journey into the presence of God, the the Shekinah glory is, if he decided, well, I don't have time today to stop here at the altar and make a sacrifice, and he goes on in, what's going to happen to him? He's going to die. He had to make a sacrifice for his own self before he offered sacrifices for everybody else. I believe there's a scripture somewhere in the Bible that says the husbandman must be first partaker of the fruit. Hallelujah. Amen. So that that is very important. So let's go to step three, the labor um, of water. Now, the next thing that you come to as you're traveling through this tabernacle on the, on the outside, you'll find a brazen labor. Um, a big labor filled with water. And we'll just uh, read here from your handout. Once sins were atoned for, cleansing was necessary before serving in the holy place. When that priest was at the altar slaughtering the animals, making sacrifice, when he walked away, and man, I hope that you're taking some time to think of some spiritual significance here and how it links into us today. When he walked away from that altar, he was bloody. <laughs> Glory to God. Hallelujah. The night on a Sunday night that I knelt at an altar in a little old block storefront church, just a kid, and I repented of my sins, gave my life to God. When I got up that night, I was bloody because I had the blood applied to me. Hallelujah. Glory to God. It has to be put over the doorpost of our hearts. Without the shed blood, there's no remission of sins. 
<coughs> so when that priest left the altar, he stopped at the laver for cleansing. He had to wash the blood off of his hands and where he'd been making that sacrifices and all of those uh, things. Now, the, um, the first thing that we want to think about is, well, that's a representation of water baptism. Well, that, that is true to a certain extent. But I want you to consider this and use it like this when you're using this as a, uh, uh, a prayer guide. Don't think about water baptism for the person who's already come to know, know God. And you know God, you've, all, you've already um, had uh, repentance and baptism and you're filled with the Holy Ghost. Um, you don't need to go back and lay the foundation of repentance again. Remember what the Bible says about that? So what's this mean to the believer who's approaching the presence of God? Um, after repentance, and you, um, in all of that, then you got to start thinking about personal sanctification, personal cleansing. Notice your prayer focus. Here we take the time to read and meditate on God's Word. Here, after you've gone to the altar, now here's where you'll pick up your Bible and meditate for a little bit, stop your prayer, meditate a little bit on God's Word and allow it to wash over us and through us. When we examine ourselves with his word or as our guide, the word will sanctify and cleanse us. Here's where I'm talking about. How many remembers the scripture about talks about the washing of the water by the word? Hallelujah. We have to have sanctification. There's got to be holiness in our life. I don't mean to be harsh or cruel, but man, the way people think nowadays, I don't understand people's train of thought anymore. But I'm telling you, if you continue, if there's no change in your life, You've got to go back to that altar because something didn't die. Amen. Something didn't get slaughtered. We stop at the labor. We apply the water of the word, the washing of the water by the word to sanctify us, to cleanse us. That we can grow in Christ and grow in holiness and get closer to God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That process is necessary. You cannot bypass the labor of water and go into the tabernacle. The same thing will happen to you as if you bypass the altar. Hallelujah. That labor. And there's so much more to this involved in this. I just don't have the time to cover everything, but 
Think, uh, and the scriptures in Ephesians about the washing of the water by the word. We look into the word of God, and the word of God, the Bible says itself, acts like a mirror. That if you're honest with yourself, now remember, if you're honest, there are some people not only lie to other folks, but they lie to their own self. You've got to be honest with yourself. And if you're honest with yourself and you look into the Word, and here I am standing at that laver, and I'm, I'm looking into the Word of God, it becomes a mirror, and it shows me who I really am. It shows me what I need to change. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. It'll, it'll speak to me. It'll point out. Hallelujah. Why some of these ladies have these mirrors that's got lights all around them. They want to make sure they see every blemish so they can cover every blemish up. <laughs> Glory. But you'll find, I better, I better not go there. I better not go there. <clears throat> Hallelujah. The day the day day will come if you live long enough by just a, a little bit of makeup and a little small thing won't be enough. You yeah. <laughs> Hallelujah. Lord of God, that's I, I I'm gonna leave it alone. I'm gonna leave it alone. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. But that's what the labor is. Uh, and the Word of God will cleanse us by becoming a mirror and showing us who we really are. Amen. And if you got everything right at the altar, when you stop at the labor, you're going to get humbled real quick. You're going you're gonna to say, Lord, I've got so much further to go where I'm able to get closer to you inside that tabernacle. Let me move on. <clears throat> Here, after we pass the labor, we come to the tabernacle enclosure itself. This was, the outside of it was not pretty around uh, the top and side of it. The outside covering was made of badger skin. So the outward look of it was not very attractive on the outside. Oh, but what was inside? You remember I told you a while ago Nothing on the outside had any gold to it. But when you get inside, all the splendor. This is just like Jesus. He took on a robe of human flesh. The Bible said that he had no beauty. That you ever notice some of these pictures they got of, of Jesus and man, how attractive he looks and good looking and like a West... Western style guy. I ain't seen very many pictures 
of Jesus that looked like a Jew. <coughs> Darker complected, olive skin. Um, but anyway, there was no beauty to behold him, the Bible said. But on the inside, God was in there. The gold was on the inside. Hallelujah. He was God and he was man. Um, <coughs> and that's what brings us to step number four. <coughs> the door of the tabernacle. Now, if you remember, when you went through the gate to get inside, when you went through the gate, how many posts was there? Four. There was four. Remember, I t and when I looked at that, what do those four, four posts represent? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now, that, that, that description is not on your handout there. You might want to jot that down somewhere on the side of that back at the gates so you won't forget that. But... The reason why is because they represent the gospel. Can I, can I tell you something about that right now that I hope won't pull the rug out from under you? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John is not in the New Testament. The New Testament don't start to the book of Acts. It's a bridge between the old. Listen, if, if, you, if you'll learn these principles, you can answer all these questions. I had somebody talking about this not long ago. Well, I don't believe baptism is necessary because of the thief on the cross. Please get some understanding. That thief on the cross didn't have to be baptized, just like nobody under the old law had to. Until Jesus died, the old covenant was still in effect. Hallelujah. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is the gospel. It's what links the old to the new. Then Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is not in the new covenant. That's how come that thief on the cross didn't have to be baptized. Hallelujah. You try to get into heaven now without it, you're going to have a problem. Hallelujah. All right, let me, let me get back to, to at hand right now. We are, now, going inside the out part, the gate, there was four pillars. But how many pillars do you see there on the door of the tabernacle itself? There were five. Look at your handout, the five pillars. I got, I got this down. Each pillar symbolizes one of the characteristics of God named by Isaiah. Here's your prayer focus as you begin. Now, you don't, you don't went through the outer courts. You don't been through the altar, the labor in your prayer. Now you're fixing to get in the good part. You're fixing to get into the presence of God and the glory of God. Amen. 
So as you as you as you're approaching and you look, think about those five pillars. The Bible says his name shall be called Wonderful, pillar number one, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. You're leaving the outside of the tabernacle. You're entering in. Oh, hallelujah. Everything on the outside was brass, but when you go through right there to God himself, everything turns gold, sweetheart. Hallelujah. You end it. Oh, my Lord, hallelujah. This stirs me. It stirs me. Hallelujah. Think about that. Isaiah 9 and 6, his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God. Who, who is that talking about? Talking about Jesus. Somebody come and tell you, how in the world did you get off from calling Jesus a God because the Bible says he is? The mighty God. If there is another God and Jesus is the mighty God, this other doesn't know how much power, does he? Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, my Lord. Hallelujah. Think about that as you're in the five pillars of the doorway. Then, and this is the last thing that I'm going to cover tonight, uh, be the last one. We're going to go to uh, Exodus chapter 40. Verse 24 and 25. Now you, you've come past the five pillars and the curtain which makes the doorway. Again, there's only one doorway to get inside. Jesus is that door. There's no other way. That's why the, if you want to get to the Father, you go through Jesus. If you want to get to the Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, you go through Jesus. Hallelujah. But now, you're on the inside. And you look over on one side on the inside, and it says, He put the lampstand in the tabernacle of meeting across from the table. Now, you'll find several places in the Old Testament that calls the tabernacle of Moses a tabernacle of meeting. Anybody, anybody want to take a gander of why? Why in some places is it called the tabernacle of meeting? Who are you meeting? It's there where you meet God. Hallelujah. You don't meet him nowhere else. When you get, see, this is... This will lead you up into what old folks used to call praying through. You ain't staying on the outside. You're not just dealing uh, with what's going on outside. You're wanting to get into the presence. You want to get where the Spirit of God is. Hallelujah. He put the lampstand in the tabernacle of meeting. Across from the table, on the south side of the tabernacle, here we go. 
And he lit the lamps before the Lord as the Lord had commanded Moses. That's what brought light inside. If you remember that outside of that tabernacle, it had several layers of covering, and the last layer of covering was badger skin. No light from the outside illuminated anything inside. Moses put this in there, and it was lit. Now, let me tell you a Bible truth here. If you're like me, you've heard this preached a hundred times, and with a hundred times, you've heard a hundred different explanations. But I'm going to tell you what the strange far is. You remember the two priests, Nadab and Abihu? God struck them and killed them because they offered strange far when they went in to burn incense. I've heard a hundred explanations. Oh, man, that's strange, but let me tell you something. Once they got everything going and the tabernacle was dedicated, far came down from heaven and lit the far on the altar on the outside. It did not come from the hand of man. It came from the hand of God. And they took the far from the altar and they used it to light everything else from the lampstand to the uh, uh, altar of incense that burnt. And, of course, we ain't going to get to the altar of incense tonight. But anything that was lit by any other far from then off the altar was strange far. God would not have no part of it. Everything we do has got to have the altar of God attached to it, folks. Hallelujah. We don't never get away from the altar. As long as we live, we won't never get away. We may be inside the holy place, but we're there because of the altar. Oh, hallelujah. I feel, I feel like get, uh, tearing down and preaching about an iron lamp. They lit the fire. Moses did that and it brought illumination. And the fire that he used to light it came from the altar. Now, that's at where, as you're standing at the golden candlestick and you imagine that candlestick in your mind as you're praying, step number five, you're at the fifth step now in your prayer. This oil is symbolic of the illuminating and revelatory power of the Holy Ghost. The priest's duty was to keep the wicks trimmed so the lamp would um, pure light without smoke. Those type of lamps back there, they had to trim the uh, wicks because, I mean, we used to we used to burn. Um, uh, uh, back in I'm telling you how old I am now. Didn't call it kerosene, called it coal oil. You burnt heaters and all that stuff. Or if you had the old oil lamps, every so often you'd have to trim them, them wicks or they'd smoke. Part of the priest's job was to keep all that going. Amen. 
and it was for illumination. And as you're praying at the, at the lampstand, you've gotten inside. Now, here's where you take a little bit of time to ask God to reveal his truth to you. Illuminate. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light. You see how all this flows together, folks? It is good. I love this. This is part of my uh, favorite thing about um, teaching. I, I could teach and preach just on the tabernacle all the time if people uh, would listen to it. Um, hallelujah. Um, but we have to still have revelation of God's Word. Amen. We still have to have some revelation. I would be I would be crazy if I thought that I understood everything in here right now. Don't matter how, how old I am, don't matter how long I've been preaching, don't matter how many times I read this book through, I need to approach it still with a prayer to God illuminate my eyes, help me to see. Hallelujah. Because the flesh still gets in the way. Hallelujah. Amen. So that is where we're going to stop for tonight. And uh, is it the lamp stamp that illuminates or it's the revelatory power? Anybody got any comments or questions?